So first couple of topics to do with conditions, causes and conditions. And the questioner says causes and conditions are a frequently used term in Dhamma. These seem to arise as mind objects as well. Can you say more about them? And clarify how the term can be understood and used skillfully. In fact, this really is pretty um, essential point to the Buddha's teachings. The Buddha's teachings are based upon causality, path. There's a path. Path is through causes and conditions. Path arises through the causes and conditions such as the condition of right view, the condition of right mindfulness, the condition of right energy, right effort. These are the conditions within which the path arises. And uh, the Buddha presented the path for a very good reason. Most of his teachings are about path. Um, It's unlikely that one will realise the end of the path without being on the path. <laughs> um, it may may happen, you know, you get it may happen. But um, a particular skill of the Buddha was to present a path so that there really is a pretty much a, a thoroughfare, you know, a way that many people can can find their way in. Of course the um, thing to bear in mind is our uh, our ordinary life is also Causes and conditions, fear, uh, mortality, um, people, relationships, um, health, um, karma, actions and results of actions. But uh, this, this is a path, this is a kind of tangled path or a path that needs to be pruned and clarified and, and made clear. Because on its own, this path doesn't go anywhere, or it goes, doesn't go to Nibbana. Nibbana is not a cause or a condition, but it's rather like if you walk along that path, you can get to, oh, there, I see now. So, Nibbana is unconditioned, but for the conditioned being to get to the unconditioned, they have to go through conditions and straighten out the conditions that they call themselves in their world, get that clarified so it begins to ease up and some of it fall away or some of it be straightened up. And then through that process you're called Nibbana. Nibbana means the unbinding. So in a way you're unbinding these binding causes and conditions such as psychological causes and conditions, you know, regret, attachment, uh, craving, um, inattention. These are conditions. So you unbind them because they're normally bound around the heart, around the citta. And the citta not understanding seeks solace and seeks comfort and seeks security in those in the qualities that bind it and so it's like we put wallpaper on the prison wall rather than get out of jail unbinding is taking down the wall which you know sometimes you have to strip off the wallpaper to see it see it as it is 
And though this is quite pretty, quite tasty, quite interesting, it's actually just wallpaper. It will pass. And then where am I? I'm still bound into the sense world, still bound into aging, sickness and death. Now, the difference between causes and conditions. Conditions refer to uh, uh, potential. Mm. So, to give an example, water is a condition for ice, but ice, but water doesn't cause ice. You know, you, if you, you know, in the in a warm area of the ocean, there's no ice. The water is a condition for ice, it means there's potential to be iced or steam or evaporate. You do a number of things, that's a condition. Uh, and, uh, and then a cause is something like specific engagement with a motivation. Mm. In the sense of, this is called chetana, impulse, intention, volition. So in a specific engagement with a condition, then a cause arises. So, you know, if I specifically engage with water with a with a refrigerator, <laughs> it's going to turn into ice. If I engage with it putting it on a fire, it's going to turn into steam. Similarly, if I engage with uh, the conditions of the jitta with a passionate mind, <laughs> it turns into smoke and heat and so forth. If I can engage with the condition of jitta with a cold, hard mind, it turns into something rigid and, and insensitive. Mm. Mm. So causes are specific things that that um, create the potentials, that create our personal world as it changes. Mm. So we all say so we all abide with the condition of mortality. Uh, and uh, the unawakened being or the being who's not comprehended um, keeps not exploring that condition but in fact holding on to you know lifespan or uh, vitality and things of this nature or getting uh, feeling negative and depressed by by mortality so then the condition of mortality gives rise to despair or the condition of mortality gives rise to denial, or the condition of mortality gives rise to distraction. Mm. Now, uh, in these uh, conditions, you have what are called latent tendencies, which are tendencies that are not necessarily things we're engaging in, but are still lying in there. Like water always has the possibility it could turn into ice. Right? There's a latent tendency to freeze or to steam, and I think, and we can also freeze or steam. <laughs> so, Buddha is saying, well, actually, the best thing is to get out of the ocean. Then you won't freeze or steam. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> well, you understand the condition, your, the condition of your mind condition of your world, the condition of your identity is not a fundamental safe, stable place and you're no longer so interested in it, in paddling around in it, in splashing around in it, building a hotel in it, in getting a yacht on it. You think, oh, I think the best thing is to 
just withdraw from this because there is a dry land and the Buddha said there's an island in this ocean an island you cannot go get beyond it's the ending of sorrow, aging and death I call it Nibbana so there's, there is there is a potential dry land you know, with, within this condition, conditioned experience but you have to get the right causes now to aim for that so in specific causes you know, motivation, chanda, virya, energy, sati, mindfulness you know, put your heart into it, citta right? investigate, explore, we monks are you know, penetrate dhammas, dhamma vijaya you know, experience samadhi, collectedness cultivate metta you know, there are, all these are the dhamma causal agencies that you can drop into your conditioned ocean if you like that will then throw you a line and you follow that you steer through the conditions you steer out of the really murky turbulent tides into places that are pretty com- more comfortable you know and this is what we're doing with these samatha practices metta breathing body steadying energies so yeah, I know, I'm less panicked, less frantic, less clinging, feel pretty comfortable. Mind is clearer now. Water's clearer, I can see what's happening. And then, ah, there's an opening to the way out. This is the matter of understanding causes and conditions. And setting up the right kind of conditions that will help you to generate the right kind of causes so you set up a condition of uh, freedom from regret mm. I abide in that you know, that's not something I'm doing now, it's something I abide in because it's now established mm. because of sila uh, and so every one of one's dhamma practices can give rise to a positive condition that then remains like a foothold or a, a, a calm place in the ocean. Okay, from there now you can start to, you know, refine those causes, refine the jetana, refine the volition, determine mm, that way feels better because you're much more sensitive. Now you're just having to deal with these rocky tides and crazy stuff. And so you then when you arrive somewhere a little bit clearer, more dispassionate, more economist. Mm, that's a nice, you, you, you stay there. That's become more your abiding place. And you can begin to notice things like, I now abide with a mind that heart doesn't really get involved with thinking a lot. If I need to, it thinks. If I don't, it begins to quieten down in the spaces where I'm quite happy in a you know, minimal Good, good, good. Okay, now that's nice. Stay there. Now look for the next way that leads to that cooling direction. That you know, so you become what's called nibbida, which means a certain sense of not really fascinated by all these ripples and currents anymore. You know, ripples and currents are fine when you're, you know, young and sprightly and you want to bounce around. But well, you've done that. <laughs> so nibbida means you had enough of that. And this is considered a powerful turning point. You're not interested in, 
in waves and currents, energies and feelings, sensations and ideas. It's just, yeah, it's okay, but enough. Where does that stop? Where does all that stuff die down? That's what I'm going to aim that way. So you're picking up every skillful Dharma fruition acts as a condition for the arising of the potential for new causal inclinations. Some of these inclinations are pretty subtle, just almost like a slight leaning or inclining towards the coolness or the easefulness or the spaciousness or the relinquishment qualities. So, thank you for the question. Someone says, Jaitanari's karma, does this mean our proliferation also creates significant karma with bodily actions or without? Yes, um, it, it because you feel the energy of it. There, there's the there's the indication. The mind is spinning, bubbling. What do you think the result of that's going to be? <laughs> you, you know that's what it does. So that's what stays there. In some, you know, and uh, some some of it will die away with just give it enough quiet or die down. But you're still finding that was um, there was an effect there. The problem with many of these, one gets kind of fond of it or habituated to it. So often meditators, you know, one of the critical things about meditation is, you know, you can do some really, you know, sitting there not bothering anybody, not saying anything, doing anything. So you think, oh, that's okay. And the mind goes all over the place. Um, and we don't think, oh, it's just the thought. But it has effects. And if you get involved in fantasies and projects and planning and stuff like that and reviewing the grudges and fantasies and plans, then you, you spend the time tangling yourself up. And then those all those are energies that then go into the mind. And a certain amount will just die out with time. I mean, frankly, when you begin, you can't stop it. You know, it just goes on. But you're not acting on it, which is great. So you're not furthering it but still you know for probably for several years for many people that stuff just is happening and saturating and then you kind of got to work with it and try to cut the habit and get out of the habit and that's what you know vitaka vichara is about about okay just right right stop 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 enough stop now not later later just we can get back to that very important idea in 10 minutes, okay? Let's stop right now, I'll get back to you. And just right, focus, point your mind to that, 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 that. How is that? How is that? How is that sensation? How is that? Get there, hold it open. No, I'll get back to you in 10 minutes. There. Because <laughs> if you say to these proliferations, go away, they say, oh, no, no, it's really important. I got it's my cousin's birthday. My dog needs it. So it's a reasonable request. I'm not denying that. It's a reasonable request. But let's take a 20 minute break and I'll deal with you later. So you do a little deal with it. You know? <laughs> so just sit down, kid. I'll get back. And then you focus on your on meditation topic. Don't get into arguing or criticizing yourself for it, but turn distinctly away. Place your mind there and just practice with that. Yeah. And then say, okay, 
now I've done my 15 minutes of that. Now what was that topic? Oh, it doesn't seem so important anymore. Oh. <laughs> Do you ever get that when you meditate? You know, it's a big thing. Right, right, as soon as I can, as soon as the bell rings, I'm going to go off and do this. The bell rings, and I don't feel like doing it anymore. Because <laughs> this is the pressure, and it's a, it's, a, it's a trick. It's to get you out of meditation. It's the trick of Mara. It's to get you out of that place of stillness. And once you leave the place of stillness by going and doing something, the country puts his trick away. You know, I've got him moving. I've got him moving, I've got him acting, so I don't need to proliferate about the future anymore because here I am, you know, involved in the present. And it's still what's happening. It's got stirred up again. And these, then, these are, these are these latent tendencies, you see, that you don't recognise because they come with fairly innocuous voices like, oh, well, you better go and water the garden, I'd better go and, um, you know, tidy the bathroom right now. It doesn't seem very tidy to me, or it doesn't seem, that's not evil, is it? You know, I've got to go and so and so. I need to see you know, DC Quan. I've got to go see Quan today because she's not feeling so well. Yes, that's a good thought. But but you don't realize that underneath that, there's a tendency to restlessness. There's a tendency to distractedness. There's a tendency to to um, losing heedfulness, ignorance, delusion, becoming, planning. You might very well say, oh, I've got a plan what I'm doing next year. Maybe so. Mm-hmm. But the pull of it, and the way the mind can spend endless time doing details, and you find, like we do now, what next year? You know, in Britain we don't even know when we're ever going to get out of this place again. They're <laughs> just closing everything down. So my, you know, so... That's the, that's the COVID condition, isn't it? Suddenly you find, oh, well, that future where I was going to get on a plane and go to see my friend in da-da-da-da-da. No, you don't know when that's going to happen. Goodbye, that one. Drop it. You know, people keep asking me, when am I going to be visiting this place and that place? I don't know. You know? <laughs> so so the, the, then use this future. And remember, we live without the presence of death. We believe in the future. But you realise in the, in the, death is the end of the future. And we will get to that place of no future, no conceivable future. So prepare for it now. Prepare for it now so you know what to do when that time comes. You Get out of those mental constructions the underlying tendencies to become something. This is what planning the future is about. There I will be in so-and-so, so-and-so, sitting on a, in a nice hotel. There I'll be seeing my friend in da-da-da-da-da, going for a walk. That, not evil. Why is it happening now? Why is it happening now? Becoming, manifesting the future. You don't need to manifest the future because in this life, one will happen anyway, and at a certain time, it won't happen in this life. So don't put too much into it. <laughs> Take some time to digest that. So another question. 
As meditation is more of being in the world, more relaxed and soft approach, I wonder if this approach is applicable in the world, as the world is about doing and achieving. At one stage I was floating and being too relaxed, and did not have energy to do things, feeling depressed too. So I'm wondering how to find a fine line being relaxed and productive. Yeah, middle way is the theme, balanced, fine line, yeah, where your energy is not collapsed, unhooked, unhinged, drifting, um, clinging internally to find refined mind states, cling, but clinging externally to external phenomena. Remember, you know, we say, how do we make this fit the world? Well, to be very blunt about it, it doesn't really fit the world, because depending what your world is, the world is generally running around in hindrances and pressures and greed and hatred. Um, so the path out of greed and hatred and delusion doesn't fit into a world based on greed, hatred and illusion. That's the blunt piece of it. But also the world is flexible. Remember, the world here is your world. And the challenge is how to live in your world, how to generate your world based upon your firmness, commitment, virtue, kindness, goodwill, patience, resilience, you name it. How do you generate your world based on Dhamma and sustain that in a world of very mingled forces. Some of them are benevolent, some of them are not benevolent, and mostly there is a very mingled, mixed up experience. How do you maintain your world within the so-called world? So yeah, you know, first of all, we do relax those tendencies to rush out into the so-called world, into the conventional world. You know, the world of pressure and urgency. And this is very important when you meditate. I'm not saying you can do it all day long. Can you do it a little bit more when you meditate? Just to relax, soften, get back, stop, calm down, put things aside. Because this is going to refresh your energy and also give you a vantage point on those signals that get you running, those urgency signals, those production signals, those, you know, my grandmother wants me to do this, my father wants me to do that signals. They, wait a minute, those are signals hitting my nervous system and I'm jumping around. And whose life is this? Are you just a puppet or what? Yeah. Is there a way to be responsible without just blind reactivity? This requires withdrawal from the signals. And adjustment. This is where I feel stronger, clearer, steadier. And then can I re-enter the world of all these signals and with a more clear, discerning eye? Like, okay, I hear that sound of urgency. Um, I'll do that in due course of time. I'll work on it the best I can. I hear your complaint about this, that and the other. I'm sorry if you feel unhappy about it. 
Um, maybe we can talk about it sometime. I'm doing the best I can, rather than just immediately get this reactivity. Somebody says, "What's the?" Somebody comes and says, "What do you need? What do you do? I've got to do this." They give me a moment to think about it. You know, you just keep cutting those energies that jab and grab and throw people around. You've got to keep terminating them. And you're going to work. You start to um, or walk. It takes eight minutes longer to walk, ten minutes longer to walk. I'll walk because it'll keep me in my body rather than in some little metal box running along at such a speed everybody's completely dislocated. I'll stay grounded in my body. Therefore I'll be able to get to my workplace much more integrated together and grounded than if I just got into the scramble. If it means I take ten minutes longer, so be it. Isn't your sanity worth 10 minutes? You know, just recognizing if you lose balance, you can do all kinds of stuff. You can say all kinds of things. You can have all kinds of mind states happening that will give rise to effects. They will affect you. They will, they will drive. They will, the, the results of that will saturate your mind and your body. Yeah. And they'll generate the kind of world you end up living in, a world of pressure and anxiety, and people crack up under that. This is not news. Either really crack up, you know, they may take your medication to get to sleep. You know, and that's sort of not unusual. I mean, the most normal function in the world that a cat can do, lie down and go to sleep, you can't do it as a human being. I mean, don't you think that's crazy? There's something wrong there. That's the world. <laughs> mm. Now, softening in meditation is just to get these this beautiful dhamma to saturate. Because if everything is too brittle, you don't soak it up. So, there's a softness and a quietness to allow the fruitions of the dhamma to really get into the, not just the physical tissues, but the psychological tightness and tension and speediness or numbness or fearfulness and wash through that with good, clean, you know, generous energy. So that definitely has an effect. Then you're going to be out, you know, in the so-called conventional world without, you know, going into it. You're in your, like you're in your bubble, you could say. They said in the Mangala Sutta, though living in the world one is not affected by worldly ways. This is Mangala Sutta. Itta Mangala Muttamang. This is the highest blessing. Though touched by worldly contact, one is not living in worldly ways. And that's that's the pinnacle of that particular teaching. So this is the it's not easy, you know. Therefore we mostly have to just go back to formal practice to pick up, to regenerate, to go again, you know, because this is this, this is not it's not that easy to find that that middle way, but it can be done. Otherwise the Buddha wouldn't have bothered to teach it. We're afraid of dying, another question. Religious teaching comforts us and gives us a solution. But what the Buddha teaches me makes sense to my logic. Do you think other paths, the Bible for example, lead to Nibbana? 
Uh, I, I, I don't have confidence that they do. They may do, but I don't see that ever uh, written or advocated in, uh, in mainstream Christian works. And you can recognize also that uh, with the Buddha you've got a very detailed path. And others are mostly, a, Christianity is mostly a path of faith with some morality. Which, that's better than nothing. But with Buddhism you've got like all these, you know, the five indriyas, the four idipadas, the seven enlightenment factors, the eightfold path. You've got all kinds of kind of teachings that act as path factors to guide you to a place um, that he obviously knew and um, and could describe all the different routes there. So certainly, and you, you, you can do it. You can kind of, you, know, you can understand it and you can kind of guide your way through it, however slowly you can work on it. Um, and that's something that gives me a feeling of confidence. Uh, that this is this is a way, the way, and if other people have another way, good luck to them. Where your faith arises, then maybe good, but I don't, I don't see it. So where's your faith? <laughs> what do we have to say? They're wrong. No, don't say they're wrong. Just saying, I can't judge your path because I'm not on it. But this is the one I've committed to, and good luck in with yours. <laughs>